0: Hi there, this is Robert Green, and you are listening to Kleptocracy and Corruption, Afghanistan, Episode 8, Season Finale. So, that's right everyone, welcome back to Kleptocracy and Corruption. I'm very excited for you to join me for this season's final episode, and I can't wait to get into some of the big topics we've been thinking about this season thus far. So in this episode we're going to talk about a couple big ideas that have been with us for a while such as as why was success even a possibility from the start when the United States went to Afghanistan who was at fault for the failure in Afghanistan is it president bush president obama trump president biden or is it a collective failure among them lastly I'm going to touch on the events of August 2021, and then we're going to look at the current situation in Afghanistan. So, inevitable failure. When the Afghan government fell in August of 2021, and the Taliban rapidly retook the country, many people were, you know, pushing the idea that the war in Afghanistan was always going to be a failure. And I talked about this in the first episode when looking at the history surrounding various superpowers invading Afghanistan. But I believe it is incorrect and honestly a bit disrespectful to our military and our servicemen and women to say that defeat was inevitable. Personally, I don't think defeat was inevitable because although the Taliban may have taken the country once we left, there were many successes along the way that show that we were making progress and that if this was a long-term project, we maybe could have had the success we were looking for. For example, I think it's important to look at the successes that we had in expanding human rights, such as women's ability to vote, run for office, seek education, the creation of a political system that was at least trying to move towards free and fair elections, the elimination of high-level terrorist threats, and weakening the power of jihadist groups in Afghanistan as a collective. I'm confident that these successes point to the fact that failure wasn't inevitable, because there was substantial progress being made in multiple areas. I think one main issue with people thinking about failure being inevitable is because of the political rhetoric calling this an endless war, when in fact, as you heard in the interview episodes, It was actually a very scaled-down war, especially towards the end and at the start, for quite some time, and it wouldn't have been that difficult to continue our presence in Afghanistan. This idea of endless war um, connects to what I mentioned just a minute ago, and you might be a little confused by it when I said If this war was a long war and without recapitulating too much of my discussion with Dr. Miller in the interview episode, you can see that the United States wasn't really committed to the Afghan project till about a decade into the war. And that's a very strong reason, including, you know, different administrations having different approaches and obviously the other conflict such as the war in Iraq. so. Well, what I'm trying to basically say here is I don't think there was enough time given to the Afghan project to really let it develop into success. For example, when we really look at who's at fault for this failure, we can see that the level of commitment was just never there. First off, we have President Bush with a small footprint approach, which never really fully committed to being in Afghanistan. Then we obviously have President Obama's approach which was a surge, but obviously setting a hard deadline to leave just a couple years later. And then we have the Trump era, which really didn't have much concrete policy to go off of, which seems to be a trend with uh, that administration, but that's a whole other podcast. So what we see is that despite this rhetoric that this was an endless war and it was turning into a long-term project, I don't think it ever was a long term project because we never fully committed to it until quite some time later. You know, we really only didn't commit till after being there for about a decade. So it seems we didn't give it enough time and effort, in my opinion. So this leads to the idea of should we have never gone to Afghanistan in the first place? Should we have left earlier? Or should we still be in Afghanistan? I'm a proponent of that I don't think we should have left Afghanistan. This may be a controversial opinion, but I really believe that we owed it to the Afghan people and to the region to have stayed in Afghanistan and continue this project for at least another decade or a couple decades. Substantial and institutional change doesn't just happen overnight. If we look at history and we look at nations that evolved into functioning democracies, the process never happened in just a decade, but happened over multiple decades or even a century or more for many nations. So when people say that failure was inevitable, I would only say long-term change was bound to fail unless we would have, have been realistic and realized We needed to commit to being in Afghanistan for decades and to see that change through. If you look at any rebuilding project that has been undertaken by the United States, such as in Germany or Japan post-World War II, obviously, first of all, obviously these are different cases because they were already developed countries. But what you see is the U.S. was heavily invested and committed into the rebuilding projects here. And what is one thing that both of these projects have in common? The United States still has a large military and political presence in both countries. And it's been 80 years since we started that process. So basically, what I'm trying to get at with that long-winded explanation is that, first off, I don't think failure is inevitable. Secondly, I think the United States should still be in Afghanistan, because I'm a firm believer that large-scale reconstruction projects like this and democracy-building projects are not something that are just or that can happen in just a couple of years, especially when it's trying to be accomplished in conjunction with counterinsurgency, counterterrorism operations. And especially taking place in, obviously, a very volatile region with a lack of security overall. So I briefly touched on who's at fault for this failure. I would say that President Bush, Obama, Trump are all to blame for this failure, and for various reasons that I think are quite clear throughout the analysis of their policies that I've uh, talked about throughout this podcast series. Some listeners may be asking why I haven't said that I think President Biden is part of this failure. He has been blamed for much of what has happened in Afghanistan because he was the one that pulled the troops out. But I think due to the political climate and the policies and actions that his predecessors had undertaken, I believe that President Biden was really in a no-win situation. Because the rhetoric of the endless war had been so entrenched in the american psyche i think president biden recognized that he had to pull the troops out or risk large-scale consequences for going against the american people's wishes let's face it the american people like to be highly critical of their government especially their president and many people would be acting the same way they are now to the withdrawal from afghanistan if president biden would have announced that the United States was staying in Afghanistan for the substantial future. One of the reasons there was so, or there was such an inflammatory response from the public, is that many people weren't paying attention or really didn't care what was going on in Afghanistan until President Biden pulled the troops out. This represents a fundamental point about this entire war in general which is that many people only started to have an opinion on it when it got into the mainstream media and the news after the withdrawal and the subsequent Taliban takeover. Ultimately, I think we need to cut President Biden some slack because I think it's quite clear that he was in a no-win situation. If he would have kept the troops in Afghanistan, the American people would have been angry. And if he took the route that he obviously did with withdrawing from Afghanistan, the public would still be angry. So that brings us to the current situation. We know what happened in August of 2021. The United States pulled its troops out of Afghanistan, which resulted in the rapid takeover of the entire country by the Taliban and the ousting and dismantling of both the Afghan government and the Afghan security forces. Obviously, the situation is quite saddening because although the Afghan government was riddled with corruption and a full-fledged kleptocracy, the current radical and oppressive government run by the Taliban continues to trample on the rights of all Afghans. And I think we can hope right now, or I think all that we can hope right now is that the 20 years of U.S. presence in Afghanistan, showed them that moving towards democracy was possible. We have to remember that this is the most democracy this country has ever seen, and it's the most expansive rights that most of its citizens have ever seen as well. So, I think we have to hope that through this oppression and through these terrible and dark times for Afghanistan, the people will keep in mind the rights that they had and eventually try to push to re those rights however difficult it may be. Lastly, I thought it might be interesting to look at where some of our major actors in Afghan politics are today. So, President Hamid Karzai, who was the acting um, president after the Taliban was overthrown, and then the president to subsequently serve two consecutive terms, is still in Afghanistan, And he has started to become more involved in Afghan politics once again, and has recently called on the Taliban to allow women and girls to return to education. Next, we have President Ashraf Ghani. Not surprisingly, when the Afghan government fell, Ghani, who was the current president at the time, was in the news quite a bit, not only because his government had fallen, but because he had fled to the United Arab Emirates to escape the wrath of the Taliban and had left with what many people claim was over $100 to $150 million worth of cash from the Afghan Treasury. So, this only fuels people's speculation of just how corrupt the government was. And in the current situation... Ghani has not been very outspoken about the Afghan situation from what I can tell, and I'm pretty sure he still resides in the United Arab Emirates today. Then we come to Abdullah Abdullah, who was the main rival to both Hamid Karzai and Ashraf Ghani. He continues to live in the capital of Kabul and continues to be pretty outspoken, especially with what he thinks led to the failure of the Afghan government. He points to many of the same things that myself and other critics of the Afghan government agree with, and that is widespread corruption. He continues to speak out about the corruption that he alleged happened in 2009, 2014, and the 2019 elections, and claims that this high-level corruption, as well as just widespread corruption, throughout the system in general, throughout the provinces, and really throughout the country as a whole is what ultimately led to the downfall of Afghanistan. To this day, he continues to label Ashraf Ghani as a traitor of Afghanistan for leaving the country. It is interesting to wonder though, about a kind of counterfactual history if Abdullah Abdullah had won one of these presidential elections, would he have really rooted out the corruption that he blames for Afghan's downfall, or would have, or would if he have fallen into the same cycle of corruption and kleptocracy that we saw past leaders fall into? So with that, thank you for listening to kleptocracy and corruption. As always, I hope you learned something new from this series. The current plan for this podcast is essentially to either morph it into a foreign policy-oriented podcast that will cover a wide variety of current policy issues and include more expert interviews as well as commentary, or continue with the theme of kleptocracy and corruption and examine other countries and other past histories to see if we can connect any common themes throughout what we see in our international system. Once again, thank you for listening and make sure to give the podcast a like and to follow us on your preferred streaming platform.